Boys and girls, it is episode 95 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Last week we talked about tuning snares, and this time we're going to be talking about tuning your toms, and I'll even have some audio examples for you. Our featured artist this time is Near Z. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the R-Tom Black Hole Practice System. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Okay, actually, you counted it. Yeah, I should count it okay, all. Okay, let's hear it. Right. Three... Two, one. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was spot on on online. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what you've been... No wonder why you always think we crush it. So you heard it, right? That sounded like an eighth note. Do one it again. And three, two, one. Dude, yeah, it's, it's an eighth so note. Spot it's a perfect on. eighth note. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so now you know I'm not crazy when I'm always making fun of it. Oh, man, that's so weird. So, man, I don't know how we don't just feed back into nothingness. (laughs) (laughs) So crazy. Uh, I can't believe it took us 95 episodes to try that. I've been counting us in. I've been counting us in like that for 95 episodes. And then today it finally clicks like, hey, why don't you count us in? Just so we can see how off our snaps are. Slightly swung eighth note. It was awesome. I did it. (laughs) To cat. (laughs) It's actually pretty much exactly how my gig was. One, two. Oh, one, two, three. Like that. To cat. Uh, How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Yeah? Um, Tired. I'm done tired. It's been like a lot of evening work. I had a session Tuesday night that went late. Mm. This whole nine to five thing, man. (laughs) It's tough. Tell you what. There's, uh, we've had a couple lessons where I had to work from noon until almost 1 p.m. Uh, and it's, it's, I, I, I feel you, man. I, 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 it's, it's, I was like, wow, what's he talking? Oh, he's a jerk. I oh. get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. But I did want to, you know, I think it was like two weeks ago, I was, I was asking you about like hi hats and if they ever respond differently to you. Yeah. In different rooms. Yeah. That happened to me in this session. I luckily I I took four pairs of hi hats because three out of four sounded terrible in that room. Really, and these are like my you know my go-to symbols. Yeah, it was so strange. I don't <laughs> even know A-team. what it was. It was just some kind of mid-range trash. Did you thing. talk to them and like, guys? This is what we do. This is why yeah. we are here. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> 14-inch new beats? What the heck? It was crazy. Though I mean, that was kind of the moral of the story, was make sure, for me, to always carry a general-purpose set of 14-inch hi-hats because mm. if, when in doubt, those will be the ones. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and that's what it was. I was hoping I was going to use these like cool 15s, these old thin ones. and It was like just weird. I think it was also a combination of the hi-hat stand because I was using one of those flat base stands. Okay. Just not giving me enough tension between the symbols oh man i've had that where like you just can't press down hard enough they're mushy yeah, non-stop exactly isn't that weird you feel s- like the stand bottoms out but you're like no i can see it's got room to go yeah exactly and i was pushing so hard that the clutch was coming undone i'm like something is just not right here i don't get it wow it, and that's a very real thing i have the opposite problem happen to me we've talked about it a little bit but on clinics since i'm a dw hardware artist they just assume i'm going to want the 9000 and that one has so much pressure and so much leverage behind it that i flip the hi-hats inside out during a clinic oh, wow. yeah which i've done quite a few <laughs> times and uh I'm like all right uh crowd i'm gonna step on these real quick don't freak out they're gonna be fine (laughs) store stock it's gonna be all right uh you can buy these for a discount after i stomp on them and flip them back back into shape um but yeah so i've but i have experienced the what you have where it's like okay is this thing bottomed out like why am i not 
getting anything out of this. And it just yeah, I think I have. If I think I have to, you know, sacrifice my back in order to have a hi hat stand that's a little bit more stable. Because I was mm-hmm. trying to go super lightweight. Everything is as light as I possibly can get, but the hi hat's just not working. I right. need I need just one step up. I need. Gotcha. I don't. I don't want to feel like I'm. It must be something with the mass of the metal. I don't know. It was so weird because I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't pushing the symbols together. Right. They were just sloshy. Something just wasn't right. Close. That's so funny. <laughs> That's crazy, man. It was kind of strange. I've been through yeah. that. Have a, a deep question for you. You ready to go deep? Now we can cut this whole thing out. Um, <laughs> so, do you know about what happened to LeBron James yesterday? Yes. Okay. So, hate speech written on his gate at his Brentwood home. Yeah. Um, yeah. My thought was, you know, now he has to explain to his kids what this mm. is, you know, especially yeah. if they've grown up as wealthy kids in California. This really might be their first time dealing with it. I was wondering, as it relates to us, do you think that the lack of, I guess, um, prejudice and the lack of uh, those type of views comes from being involved in music at an early age because all of our idols were everything they were men women hispanic black white they just could play and that's why you looked up to them and then as soon as you got in your first jazz quartet it was female piano player or female bass player and then hispanic you know and you just i think you just I, i don't know i mean you grew up on the east coast so at least as a california kid i was just thinking like how is this stuff still around i mean is it just that people aren't exposed to different cultures at an early age? I mean, I this was one of the things I talked about when I met with the guys at Philly Drum Project a couple of weeks ago. I think if if every child, this is what breaks my heart about getting rid of arts and, and stuff in public school. Right. If every child is is required to explore arts and and whether it's music or photography or whatever, you learn to be an empathetic, compassionate person. You learn from other cultures. You learn to respect, you know, you learn to, to accept the fact that you're going to be challenged on a, you know, a daily basis. So you're right. not always going to be, you know, question whether you're the one that's always right. I think, so yeah, I think so. I think just being absorbed, just being thrust into music and, because my school was not diverse. I mean, it was 99% Caucasian. Sure. Um, but, you know, we were learning Duke Ellington music. We were learning, that, yeah. you know. Mine was too. I mean, I grew up in a California suburb area and <clears throat> where it was not diverse, but I did. The thing is, I found the diversity in the band room. That's yeah. where the diversity was. And there was never, you know, with athletics, I was, I was talking to my wife, Amber, about this, uh, about how athletics, they have these code words for like a white running back, like, oh, high motor high motor just oh, yeah, you know and right. it's like oh you mean he happens to be athletic um and so <laughs> so anyway so i would but in the music world we just didn't have that you were just either good or you weren't and i yeah when i look back on my childhood my parents who are very open-minded they never ever had to sit me down and say just so you know everyone's created equal like it was never pushed on me but i also yeah. started playing music when i was five and so i was kind of looking back trying to think why are those views not there for me instead of me trying to suppress them and say, oh, I'm better than that? It's like they're just not there in the first place. And all I could do is trace it back to music. And I just thought, how are we not, like you said, without being forcible, putting children into arts programs right away as like, look, this isn't because we need you to get better grades or you're going to go to a better college. This is for humanity's sake 
Yeah. You just all of a sudden, you know, when you, let's say that it's photography, it's like it's a great picture. It would never enter into your mind. Did a guy take it? Did a girl take it? Yeah. What color yeah. were they? It's where like, are they from? Where yeah, are they I mean, from? <laughs> what do they believe? What's their religion? It's like, I don't know. It's a killer picture. And it, and it teaches you just to respect everybody. And then what you and I went through as teens is we found world music that was like, okay, this is from my perspective, this is cooler at the moment than what I'm listening to. Now I'm appreciating this culture rather yeah. than looking down on it. Like, you know, um, and I'm also wondering where does this music come from? Maybe uh, if I'm looking at Brazilian music, I'm thinking, what is their socioeconomic status that is create? Why are they creating this music? You know, um, and yeah. and appreciating it rather than looking down on it. So, uh, food yeah, for I thought and take yeah. that. I mean, it, it's 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 not surprising that he would still have to deal with that type of an issue. But at the same time, it's it's like that's. Isn't that the easiest way to attack him <laughs> racially? <laughs> you know? yeah, it's it's, it's a little, a little bit of low hanging fruit. <laughs> it's like, really, dude? Are we still I doing mean, skin color? Really? I don't know what you're trying to do. Are you trying to derail him because you, you know you're afraid he's going to win the finals again? I mean, it's like <laughs> I just don't understand. I mean, it, again, it's it's nothing to joke about. It's no, a serious no, 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 no. It's very but, serious. It's but I, I'm kind of the same way. Like even when I see see that word i'm like why why are we why does that even what is it why right. are we using that word what is its relevancy i mean it's right you know there's a dark history in this country with all that so it of course it, it's really tough but yeah i think you're spot on i think it the more we have children interacting with people from different cultures and mostly just exploring creativity i don't know how you can possibly hold on to those views i mean that's exactly i think I that's my point of this is music is what allows us to be open-minded because and i think it just comes from a young age i mean i honestly when you're seven do you even know that dennis is black i mean he's just bad the dude is yeah. bad like it, it's, yeah exactly it's not occurring to me to compare him to buddy rich based off of skin tone it's just one of those things where it's like well that i love that dude and then i like this guy and i like this girl you yeah. know and um i mean i went through the opposite i had culture envy more coming up oh like, yeah. man i wish i was born in cuba or man i wish i was born in ghana and got to play drums since i was right. able to walk i mean yeah. i had more of that it was more like i saw what they their culture how they embrace music and art and rhythm and For sure. like, man i i had to discover it at such a late age really yeah. relatively speaking you see like Man. things in Brazil, and you think like, "Oh, is that is that Carnival?" And they're like, "No, that's Wednesday." Yeah, you're like wait, yeah. that's your street? That's your <laughs> neighborhood? That, like that? that I want to live there. That guy that you think is you know probably a full time drummer? He's an accountant or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I learned that at the uh, Zakir Hussein concert, where all the aunties and uncles from India sitting around me were clapping in like eleven, and I couldn't find the one. And I was like. I have a feeling you guys aren't even musicians, and you're just really good at this. So, All right. Well, let's talk yeah. about something that has nothing to do with anything too serious, but it's serious to every drummer that's ever played, and that is tuning. We talked last week about tuning your snare drum. We went through a bunch of different varieties there and different approaches, and now we're going to talk about a different animal altogether, which is your toms. Tuning your toms can be, I think, frustrating for all of us. But if you're like Mike and myself, it's also a, an adventure. And you, you actually start to fall in love with it and you can't wait. Yep. I mean, I'm 35 years deep into this adventure. And I still today, when I was making that recording for you, I was still discovering things. And I was like, yep. oh, that's what does that. Uh, so do you have any hard and fast rules when it comes to tuning your personal toms? Uh 
No. The only rule is there is no rule other than get to know your drums as yep. best as you can. Because I, I have some drums that, that only sound good if the bottom head is a little bit higher, and I have some drums that really kind of come to life if the bottom head is lower. But I always start with both heads exactly the same just to kind of get a a ground, you know, a, a, a control. You know, what is sure. what is... What does a C on this 13-inch tom sound like with both heads exact same pitch? Yeah. And generally, it's if I feel like the sustain isn't quite you know, opening up like I want, then the bottom head will come up a little bit. Sure. Because maybe the, the shell isn't resonating as much as it should, something. But yeah, usually, most cases, exactly the same top and bottom modify you know, as, as needed. Yeah, ground. that's definitely the starting place. Now, before we get more into like our personal approaches... Do you have? Can you think in your mind of a drummer where you go, "That's a that's a rack tom to me." Like when I hear that guy play or that girl play, that's a rack tom to me. There's a, I mean, I think I think that guy's in Nashville. I've okay. really dialed it in. So if I think of like what would be like a big classic drum sound, I think of Chris McHugh's toms. Yep. Um, if I think kind of so, a more precise sound, it'd be near Z. We're going to talk about later, but yeah, I think the Nashville stuff is still kind of like, I'm chasing that. Like, can I get that and then modify it? Cause that seems like, it's just like the perfect drum sound. Right. You know, can and I then achieve that? <laughs> our extremes would probably be maybe Jack DeJanet on one side and maybe Phil Collins on the other side. Just, yeah. Yeah. You know. Or like a uh, Dale Crover as being like, everything okay. sounds like a floor Tom or something yeah. or, or, or Dave Grohl. Right. <laughs> Where it's like, uh, I don't know, rack Tom, floor Tom, Tom. It's just Which a drum. I still love that sound too, but it's, it's a yeah. different sound. Yeah. It's crazy how many shapes that your Toms can take. I think about Brian Blade playing with, uh, Joshua Redman on his bop kit. And then I think about him playing with, um, Trixie Whitley and Daniel Lenoir in black dub. And yeah. it's, you know, and it's still Brian Blade, but and it still sounds. Both of them sound like Brian Blade, and yeah. uh, you know, and and now we've got like all the people that mix it up. Where is it a tom? Is it a snare? Is that yeah. a sympathetic snare buzz, or is that actually a snare drum with the snares really loose? I can't tell. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's so when it comes to what do you think you get out of the two other ranges? Let's say that we start our toms dead even all right top head and bottom head are the same what are you going for when you change the bottom head that's a good question so i um i think of the top head as being more the feel and the bottom head being kind of more the pitch so agreed i kind of you know if if i like the way the top head feels but the pitch is maybe not high enough then i'll just bring out the bottom head okay Uh, i feel like it kind of pushes the sound back at me more too so i think it's a more pleasurable experience to play with the bottom head a little bit tighter if the drum's not tuned super high, it's kind right. of, you know. One gives you more, and then when you go lower, it just sinks in and has that gushy feeling. So Yeah, and it kind of goes out away from you. Since we're talking about changing the bottom head, let's listen to some audio. So I made a recording this morning, and all I did was I had my 12-inch rack tom. Uh, I have single-ply coated head on top and single-ply clear head on bottom. And I started at 235 hertz medium tuning range maybe a little bit high for some people but medium for myself and then all i did was change the bottom head i i kept them exactly the same then i went higher then i went lower and um yeah and and i just held the drum i turned all my snares off and held the drum kind of near my overhead microphone so let's give it a listen all right guys so this is my gretsch broadcaster 12 by 8 inch rack tom this is a maple poplar maple three ply shell and we're going to start off with both heads being tuned exactly the same both heads are tuned to 235 hertz on the tune bot
keep the top head at 235 hertz and we're going to crank up the bottom head to 275 hertz. All right, this time the top head will stay at 235 like it has been and we're going to drop the bottom head to 200 hertz. All right, so now you guys can hear how much that bottom head controls everything. And one thing that I think you have to keep in mind is all of them were in tune. You know, we, I used the tune bot. So the drum was in tune. That's why you never got that weird growl, even when I tuned the bottom head lower. So you were saying while we were listening to that behind the scenes that the bottom head is, that's your jam. Bottom head lower, sorry. Yeah, on that particular drum. And it opens that up, particular right? tuning, yeah, it just felt like it was, you know, it didn't give me the pitch bend that I expected, it actually made it a little bit more pure sounding. I agree. I thought. Yeah. You know, the, with the bottom head tighter, you could definitely hear the pitch bend, which I tend to not really like too much of that. Right. Like a pure um, sound. Yeah, just like a, a note and kind of get out of the way. I don't want it to kind of change midway through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I thought the bottom lower, and, I, and you said 235, so I think that's a fundamental somewhere around B flat, which that's a 12-inch tom, you said? Yep. Yeah, so that's that might be medium high for me but that's still within the range of where i would usually go usually right. from like c down to g on my 12 gotcha yes yeah, so that's right in the right in the spot where i would put it yeah so that that made me want to mess around with lower bottom head a little bit more yeah i usually well, only do that on floor toms because i i kind of want the floor toms to be punchier and kind of hit and not bloom back up towards me right but yeah that sounded nice on that 12 yeah that's that cool. i mean it yeah like i said 35 years in and i I had my own revelation this morning i was just doing how many yeah how many times you ever done that in your career like the bottom head lower probably not many right no never uh (laughs) ever because it's wrong in my in my stupid little head and it's like all i have to do is record the dang thing why am i getting so mad (laughs) all you have to do is record it and listen it it, took you how many years to do that uh, 35 (laughs) 35 total yeah so three decades 3.5 decades Let's let's keep bringing that up. So yeah. So um, now, in, in all honesty, for the way I play, that's actually I still wouldn't tune that way. But if I was recording and I was trying to get that rack tom sound, then that's that's the, that drum does that. That's where it needs to be. Um, but it probably didn't feel very satisfying. That would be no, my guess. No, it didn't. Um, I didn't. Yeah. It, it gave me nothing. It kind of stole my stick rebound. Um, mm. And then the other thing is it the microphone heard something that I didn't hear. Um, I, I It's not like I hit it. The reason why I've probably never done that is because my ear didn't hear it that way. So I, yeah. I, I'm sure I've done that many times as a kid and been like, okay, that doesn't work. But I didn't record it and then listen back to it. So mm. that was really the key for this this setup. So, But the, I think the other thing that's really important is for those of you that have it, that always mess around with tuning, but you're always messing around with the top head, you don't need to get the top head at a place like Mike said, where it feels good to you, uh, yeah. and you're in the general pitch range. But it feels really good when you hit it, and then mess with the bottom head because I never touched the top head; it was always at 235 hertz, uh, and then yep. I was just raising and, and dropping the bottom head. So I've definitely done tests um, years ago with like, does do do both heads have to be perfectly in tune? Like, mm. do each tension lug have to be? perfectly matched so what i found was the bottom head was more important to actually be in tune with itself than the top head like i even went so far as just totally randomly tune the top head get it to a 
a note that sounded okay, but nothing was pitch matched, and okay. then pay careful attention to the bottom head, it still sounded like a pure tom. Really? So the bottom head is, I think, sure. 99% of it, really, ultimately. I agree. I've always, <clears throat> my students ask a lot of times, especially when they're somewhat new, and they're thinking, you know, if let's say that you're new to drums, and you have a guitar player buddy, and your guitar player buddy changes strings every three weeks. You think, like, well, should I change my heads every three weeks? And so... And no, you shouldn't, um, unless unless for some reason you're very anal about stick marks. But so they they'll ask when should I change the bottom heads because I'm always changing my top heads. And it's like, oh well, one you can kind of hear it. Eventually, that mylar just yeah. has nothing left to give. But if you're one of those people that throws your drums into the car without cases and you're denting that bottom head, as soon as that bottom head is messed up a little bit, it's game over. You have to change it. Uh, yeah. The bottom head controls everything. And I mean, that's you know, I guess. Uh, drum clinician 101 in any tuning question is you you hit the drum give it you know and it rings out through the whole place and then you just take the tuning key and you take out one bottom tension rod out of your rack tom and the whole thing's toast it goes (laughs) and you're like i didn't touch the top and then they go no way wait the bottom (laughs) head matters like yeah it really does it's called the rezo head for a reason it resonates and Uh, i think that's why a lot of um I think the drum doctor he always talks about tuning the bottom head lower. I think that I think it's a studio mm. preferred sound. Yeah, my microphone loved it. Yeah, I don't I don't think playing live in a room it would be the best sound and I don't think as a player without headphones on and microphones involved it right. probably wouldn't be the best sound but it seems like that records really well and it's, I don't use it enough. So No, it's funny I'll uh, be a little extra transparent. There was actually four recordings. There was the 3 and then, which I just showed you guys, and then the fourth one, I even recorded the voiceover for. It's like, all right, guys, now we're going to listen to my preferred tuning setting. This is top head at two thirty five <laughs> and bottom head slightly tighter at two fifty. And when I listened back to it, I was like, hell no, I'm not showing them oh, that. No. <laughs> yeah, it was like the worst one, <laughs> but it's the best one out there in the feel and like my ears <laughs> hearing it. But uh, so yeah, it was. It was like, yeah, and delete. <laughs> Well, I mean, the moral of the story is you can't just trust your, you know, your gut and, right. and your old habits, and right. you have to have some kind of, you know. I think especially now that recording gear is so cheap and easy, everyone should just be experimenting. Totally, but you know, it's. I mean, it's the caveat is not going to sound the same in the room as it sounds under a microphone. It's like, right. what are you playing exactly? For? And everything I just did would change if I just moved my drums even into a different room in this building. If I just moved it to my private yeah. lesson room, everything would change. So it's really, I think, the most important thing when it comes to snare tuning, bass drum tuning, rack tom tuning, or tom tuning in general is understand what they do so that when your situation presents itself, you know, okay, you guys want me to get that tone out of the way a little faster? Let me let me do this. And uh, my toms aren't cutting through or they're cutting through too much. Let me back off that bottom head and we'll just get that flappy Nashville sound. So as long as you know what they do, then you you do that for the room. You know, um, I mean, right now, I wish I had like a pop session coming up today. Because I would not, I would have my rack tom on that third tuning, and I just know the producer would be like, "Dang, you been watching that Aaron Sterling video?" I'm like, no. "Well, yeah, I have, but that's not why I did this. I, I did an experiment, and it worked out really well." So, so guys, get in a room and start messing around with your toms, and if you can. Like Mike said, I mean, with the technology we have, it's really just not that expensive to have one microphone going into an interface into your laptop just to do some tests and yeah. see see how it works. So, all right, well, let's get into our featured artist. This guy has no issue with tuning. The artist Near Z is Near Z from Israel. 
He is. Yep, born in Israel. Nice. But uh, and, and where's where's he located now? Is he in New York or L.A.? He's in Nashville. Nashville, of course, he is. Yeah. Yeah, he moved down there, I want to say, eight years ago, okay. maybe. Um, but he, he was in New York for a long time, and that's when I, I met him. Actually, no, I met him in a NAMM show. He was, you know, he's he, he's a restless guy. He's never, he never sits still for a long time. He was doing sample libraries for ToonTrack, the, wow. the software Yeah, company. of course. Like one of the early versions. So he was, he was like on the, the forefront of that with them. So he was... Um, he was going to New York studios, so they were going to like historic New York studios and doing drum samples there. So they did Jeez. Avatar, they did Hit Factory, and another one I can't remember, Bearsville maybe. Wow, uh, I think it was yeah something up in Woodstock. So he was the drummer that did all the drum samples for those Superior Drummer libraries, and they're sound amazing. So I met him at a NAMM show. He was in the Tune Track booth playing an electronic kit. And no I was way! Hearing these like insane drum sounds, like that is not that is not the sounds in that module of that kit you're using. Like, right? What is going on? So we just kind of connected because we're both kind of techie, nerdy drummer types, and. We just hung out, but then I went to visit his studio, him in his studio in Brooklyn, and got to sit in. You know, he did. I took a song that I was recording at home and had him do a take on it, <laughs> just no so way. I could hear what he would do. Oh, uh, and of course, you know, after he, you know, he recorded it, hit the space bar, we listened to it, and then he deleted it. <laughs> oh no! I was gonna say, have you studied it a million times? That'd be so no, awesome. No, no, it was like, no, nah, you can't have that. Oh, that's. But I mean, what a cool experience. Yeah, and it happened again. So he's kind of been, I mean, I don't know if he even realizes it, but he's been like a mentor to me for the past 10 years or so because really? we've, we've become really good you know, good friends. Because so I've interviewed, interviewed him for the magazine, and we've hung out when he lived in New York and, and at NAMM and stuff. But at the same time, I'm always you know, picking his brain. He's, he's calling me, asking me questions about gear because he knows I'm always checking out all the, the new gear. Right. And then I'm always squeezing in a question about like, well, how do you do this or how do you do that? <laughs> <So> <laughs> at one point, yeah. I tried to convince him to become my official teacher, but nah, it really? hasn't happened yet. Now, does he? I, I was just going to ask that. Does he teach? Does he take no, on private no, students? No. Okay, no, I, I just, wouldn't imagine he even has time. Yeah, he's too busy. He's got a, stu- a, a great studio in Nashville that I've got to go down and check out. But yeah, so even recently, uh, we probably should go through his his history a little bit. So he's born in, in Jerusalem. Uh, Moved to New York, was on John Mayer's album Room for Squares. That was the first time I heard him, and yeah, I just two thousand one. I thought that that was uh, when I first heard it because John Mayer. That's early. That's I don't know if that's John Mayer's first album or second album, but um, it's, it's early first on. One, yeah. Okay, so yeah. I thought that was Matt Chamberlain because mm-hmm. it sounded so much like what Matt had done with uh, Wallflowers. That I you know. Uh, I just thought, like, yeah. oh, this has got to be a Matt Chamberlain thing, and then I was like, who the hell is near Z? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I and yeah, so that was like, and then well, you'll talk about it, but then the other things he did, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's got the gigs. Yeah, yep. So he was he was a pretty young buck when he was on that record. Then he was on um, Chris Cornell's second solo album, Carry On. So I mean, he went from pop to pretty hard rock. He was. Um, Gosh, he was in he was in um, Genesis for a while. Yeah, that's that's I remember. That's when I was like, "What?" Because I mean, I'm the I'm the Phil Collins freak, you know. So he was 1997. Yeah, calling all stations. He was on that record and then toured with him in 1998. Yeah, Josh Stone, Jason Mraz. Yeah, uh, I mean the guy's just done so much. And 
I would assume just like um, Matt Chamberlain and, and Josh Fries and Aaron Sterling, Wikipedia is not going to have any clue what he's actually doing. You know, as far as there's yeah. a million things that will never be listed. These are just his giant hits that would allow everyone to connect. But I mean, it also doesn't uh, it doesn't help that his he goes by near Z, but his last name is, is oh. something that gets misspelled all the time. So okay. at one point, I remember he was complaining to me about allmusic.com just like having his credits completely screwed. Really? Up. How do you even say Zid Zidkayahu? Yeah, let's go with it. <laughs> Wait, no, I got Zidikaya. Yep, Zidkaya. I so don't know. You know what? I never Z. actually asked him. Yeah, near so Z. that's why he's near Z. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes. Um, but I mean, he moved when he moved to Nashville. He ended up. You know, he's he's now on top records. So he's on Trace Atkins' new record. He's on Dan and Shay. He's on Blake Shelton. I think is kind of his. You know, the biggest one. Okay. Which I I highly recommend that record. Bringing back the sunshine from a few years ago. Blake Shelton. There's some clinic studio drummer stuff on there um so yeah now he's in nashville kicking it kicking it down there um, and did you say he has his own studio yeah wow yeah, yeah. it's yeah. i haven't been there but i've seen pictures and it's the one in brooklyn was was awesome but it, you know it's, it's brooklyn so it's smaller kind of a sure setup this i think is a converted garage or something of that okay. sort and that's where he's tracking stuff for other people yeah Wow. As well as going to you know the big sure. studios in town, um, yeah, he's he's great. I I um, every time I hear a track he's on, I'm studying. And I found if you want to see him live, uh, he did a one of those CMT Crossroads shows. It was John Legend and Leanne Womack. Okay, and he's in the band, the backing band. Got it. I just found it online, so you can go to cmt.com and full episodes. You'll find it. It's the, you know you got to see the guy play it also kind of get the gra- how intense and deliberate and musical at the same time he deliberate's is. a good uh, word he's every note has a, an extreme amount of purpose um, yeah he's got patience too um, yeah a lot exactly. of patience I mean that's one thing I really like about watching even his solo stuff is that he'll really sit on a theme for a while and understand that if I sit on this theme long enough one added accent will be the fill will be the lick and the chop yeah. just because you got so yeah, used exactly. to it so <clears throat> he's a great storyteller um I've, yeah. I've never had the chance to meet him but i was in a band that was from new york um uh they were in in new york they were called splendor pop band and i think Nero was either either did some session work for them or he was going to be their new drummer and then anyways the singer disbanded the band and he moved to california and we started a project together and so i was always getting these near z stories what it was like to work with here and uh you know and i'm like dude you're not making me feel any better i'm trying my best i really am trying to be precise and flawless but you know uh, and uh, yeah. he's like well you know when we would do this stuff was with near and i'm like then just go back to new york and record with me okay <laughs> i'm doing my best I've got 86 <laughs> lessons a week. I'm a little worn out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, legendary, it's humbling. It's humbling to, you know, you listen to him on a record, you think, okay, they spent a lot of time making sure all of his snare, snare hits are consistent and yeah. accurate and compression and all these tricks. Right. But then you see the guy play. I was going to say, you watch a that, video. Yeah. That, and then I, uh, I was down in Nashville to do the, I think it was the CMT Award Festival. I don't remember what it was. I played a, a show, an outdoor show, and he was on the band before me. <laughs> I oh, think. Great. So I got to watch him play the exact same kit that I was going to play. Oh, and, boy. And it's like, oh, okay. That's all in his hands. That sound, that's perfectly sampled bass drum and perfectly <laughs> sampled snare drum. He got it live, you know, wow. on, a, on, a, on one of those, like, 
those those aluminum stages where everyone sounds terrible oh, but he yeah. didn't. <laughs> you know? Oh man, that's what a cool experience though. I mean, and even just to have him at your place and to see him play your drums and just yeah. to be, you know, feet away from him. I mean, I was when you were telling that story, I was just thinking, man, you've got so many cool experiences in your life. I remember you telling us about you going to interview Steve Jordan and you got to play a snare and then he played oh, it yeah. and you know yeah. things like that where it's Steve like Gad, same thing yeah yeah so cool man well uh, here's just, here's the the heartbreaking story near near just recently replaced me on a track <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome what a badge then, of know, honor good job Mike I, but you know I was the one that gave him the number I was like you know what if you want near Z here's his number call him you know make it happen and they're like yeah we will <laughs> <laughs> no, no no I mean you don't have I mean, <laughs> well, have you heard the track with him on it? Yeah, I heard the raw, the raw take. I mean, the guy was, you know, he was, he was real polite. He's like, you know, I don't want to. I just want you to be cool with it. I'm like, absolutely. Because what happened was, I had recorded the drums when there was no track to speak of. It was like a rough acoustic guitar and a okay. vocal. So when it got to the final mix, it just felt like there wasn't enough interaction or something like that. Right, because you had what, what you had nothing to interact with. Yeah, there was nothing there, and so he was like, you know, I want to try somebody else I'm like go for it man use yeah. near use somebody that you know is going to bring it to the next level and i also wanted to hear what he did with it because it was a pretty straightforward song right uh, there wasn't like a lot of obvious things to step out and do drummer things right um, so i heard the you know the raw version and there was he, he definitely played the song but there were little things little details that just that showcased how amazing he is like he he feathers the hi-hat during the verse in a way that's like almost inaudible wow. it almost sounds like he's just using the pedal really uh, so then when he comes in with a hi-hat you're like ah there's that voice it's there for the chorus because the song doesn't have any ride symbol in it it's just hi-hat okay yeah so, so he you found to... contrast by right. by feathering like whisper quiet on the on the verses wow he does a lot of quick bass drum stutter things to kind of lead into the next section as opposed mm-hmm. to like big fills. Yeah. Things that, that I'm not confident enough to do and feel like it's not going to feel hokey or out of time. Yeah. Well, and that's, that comes back to that thing I was saying about him just having patience. Like he knows that if he keeps the consistency, then a couple extra bass notes, that is the fill. That's yeah, the lick, exactly. the chop. And know? it's like a little 30 second note that just like jumps in. Like, what the heck was that? But it's like awesome. You when know? he does it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, man, when you do things with confidence rather than like, hey, do you like this? Yeah. It's like when you do it with confidence, everybody buys in. They're like, oh, that was so dope. But, you know, that's just how it goes. Well, guys, check out Near Z. You can find him. Literally just type him into Google because that way you'll find videos of him. You'll find his Facebook page. You'll find a little bit of everything. But um, He's now a uh, sonar artist, which is why we brought it up because he's featured in a full page ad and for the new SQ1 kit that I hope we get to check out soon. Mm. He's now playing Sonar. Sonar Sabian, Evans, Innovative Percussion. Beautiful. Love it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about some uh, some fun gear. So we brought this up a little while ago. I think maybe it was even a pick of the week for you a while back. But this is the RTOM Black Hole Practice System. And you got a chance to actually yeah. demo it out and play it and everything. So mm-hmm. give everybody just a little rundown on what this is. <clears throat> so this is RTOM is the company that makes Moon Gel. So they're you know they've been in the industry and we've all used their stuff. Uh, now they made this device. It's essentially a black mesh head with a fabric dot glued in the middle, kind of like a black dot size for a black dot head, and then it has a rubber um, hoop that the mesh head kind of 
goes that it goes around the the edge of the mesh head. So it has like a rim, like a like a it feels like a drum rim. You are crushing this description. <laughs> I know it's so bad, isn't it? Let me start over. <laughs> no, it's so just awesome because I'm it's looking hard to at describe. it and I'm like, yeah, you're you're nailing it. But I don't know how I would describe this to somebody <laughs> if they couldn't see it right now. <laughs> It's a mesh drum head on a rubber hoop that goes over top of your existing drum head. You don't have to remove anything. It okay. just snaps onto it goes in between the tension rod heads and the hoop itself, the uh, the triple flange hoop. So it stays in place on it by its own just by the tension of snapping it in between the tension rod head and the existing drum hoop. Wow, okay. Uh, that said, the bass drum needs to have claws that stretch across to the front to hold it in place. But you still no- don't remove your bass drum head. You don't change your drum kit at all. So the whole thing could be installed in, in 30 seconds if you're okay. quick. Perfect. Um, you don't have to change your tuning. You don't have to do anything. So it's not like taking the drum head off and putting a mesh head on, and then now your drum is a practice drum only. This right. You can immediately go from playing the full drums to practicing. And you can tune it. So I did do a little bit of that to kind of get the feel of it, to match the size of the drum a little bit better. Um, the cool part is it actually lets some tone ring through. So... Right. Uh, in this demo, we'll probably should just check it out now. This is it's kind of funny. You're going to hear audio of me playing on practice mutes, but but there is tone. There is tone, and I did crank the the volume probably 20 decibels. So what you're hearing, which has been normalized, was like 20 decibels quieter than what it is. Wow. Let's check it out. So I will say that those were quieter than the traditional neoprene throw the pads on the drum head uh, mutes. Okay, it was the actually thing- quieter. We we did a side by side comparison. It was I didn't think it, they were going to be. I mean, you could wail the snare drum as hard as you possibly can, and it never got above that volume. Really, which was you could, no. I mean, you could you're talk you're going it. in on this video. I can see. I mean, you're going full kind of rock yeah. and roll grooves. Now, the other thing that I really like is I think tonality wise we're pretty much in the ballpark of like a Remo silent stroke head or any of the mesh mm-hmm. heads, but that's such a massive process to replace your entire drum head. Yeah. Just so you can practice. So I exactly. think that because obviously I, I use at home, I have the Aquarian super pads. I've definitely used all of real feels products back in the day or the, um, HQ percussion, you know, just the right. rubber. Beats. Yeah. Um, but you don't get that, the tone of the drum quite like this. But mm-hmm. I also wasn't willing to take off my heads because I, I actually do almost every day play my kit normal and play it with practice pads. Mm-hmm. So to be able to get a little bit of tone without having to change my drums seems really cool. Now, the question I have, well, first of all, this will definitely let you know what part of your hardware is rattling. I know you can hear the uh, bass drum pedal squeak. <laughs> I'm just saying like it's, it, it's just because your drums usually cover that up, right? <laughs> but <laughs> but what I, what I was going to say is do you find do you think these would be durable i mean i've been using them in lessons every week really um, okay you know the 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 rubber the rubber hoop could possibly come if you're not 
if you're a little bit rough with it, it'll pull off of the the counter hoop on the head a little bit. So you just okay. kind of have to rework it back on, like a like a tire or something on the right. bike. But uh, nothing is shown anywhere. The dots, if they get damp, um, they might come off. Okay. So that would be something to be aware of if you, you know, make sure to keep it dry. It kind of bubbled up on the base room a little bit because it got it got damp because I was carrying it. I think in the rain or something like that. Just drinking a few beers while you're practicing. Yeah, just throwing it on my base ah. room. Uh, but yeah, I haven't noticed any, and the dots give you a little bit more attack than the mesh heads. Like if you don't hit the dot, it's almost silent. Oh, okay. So I, they're there for a reason. They're giving you the yeah. click. Ah. It gives you a little bit of sound instead of just being like a silent uh, pad. So it's not. So it's not as. It's not a protective thing for that area. It's more to give you some click, or maybe a little yeah, bit both. Probably both. Yeah, I would think both. Yeah, and that, so word of caution: it doesn't diecast hoops. I don't think it fits perfectly on and. The kit that I'm teaching on is a, a pearl forum kit that has the the pearl suspension mount that kind of grabs mm-hmm. onto the, the hoop itself. That gets in the way of it working on the rack toms perfectly. I'm still able to kind of you know snap it onto the other tension rods and it stays in place, but occasionally it'll pop off if a kid hits a real hard rim shot. Gotcha. Um, so you just have to you know just check out what you're going to use it on. Uh, and they wood make hoops, um, drums as small as a ten and, and as big as a twenty four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got it. It's cool. I, okay. I, I, like I said, I use it in lessons, and and I feel like the kids are actually getting sound out of the drums. Right. Quick question: Did you find yourself because um, as we were struggling to describe this product, uh, one one thing you can't see is this hoop sits a, about an inch or maybe two inches off of the head. Uh, about or an the, inch. Yeah. yeah, about an inch. So, did you change the level of your drums at all? Did you raise? Yeah. Or did you lower them did, just to make it feel like normal? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, the snare drum, everything had to kind of go down an, an inch, maybe three quarters okay. of an inch. Cool. Um, which isn't, you know, not a deal breaker. Uh, the bass drum has a little metal plate that you have to you have slide under the drum, so that did kind of make me have to move the drum around a little bit. But again, like I said, within a minute or two, these things are, are on, and you, they pull off like instantly. So if you just want to yank them off, it's right. not a big deal. And then. Uh, any idea? Um, I haven't looked up. But any idea on the cost? Are they extremely expensive? Are they affordable? Uh, you know, I don't know. I didn't have the prices at the time. Well, then I guess we'll just have to find <laughs> out. Uh, they they just they look really cool, and I think that they might be the answer for a lot of people that are looking to have that have that silent head, but also be able to play their drums extremely fast. Yeah, they they're not. Play. They're not they're not super cheap. Um, it looks like the fourteen is like fifty bucks. Okay, that's actually not bad. I mean, that's kind of maybe a little more than the norm. But you know, if you were going to buy, let's say for your normal fourteen, I would probably put a ProLogix pad on or an Aquarian Super pad, and those are going to be in that high thirties to mid forties. So yeah, yeah, it's not insane. So looks awesome. like you can get a full five piece kit for like three hundred bucks. Cool. It depends on how much you practice, how much you need it. If I was, you know, an apartment drummer and just needed that, I'd, I'd go for it for sure. So, yep. check out. Uh, you can just go to their website if you want. It's just rtom, literally r t o m dot com, um, and then you can also, if you just check it on Google, you'll find a bunch of retailers that are carrying this stuff. So, awesome. All right, buddy. Well, let's uh, dive into some listener questions. Let's knock some out. All right. So this one is coming from Alberto, um, and he's in Spain. So he has a question for you about the business part of being a drummer, specifically how you manage your tariffs to your clients. Do you have, um, I'm going to translate, he uses the word prizes, but I think he means prices. Do you have fixed prices um, or do you work for a percentage of earnings? 
um, in a case where you work for fixed prices, how do you establish your price? Um, when you work for a percentage, do you establish a minimum that you will receive? And do you charge differently for gigs versus studio? So it sounds like he uh, was in a band that all of a sudden they started asking him to co- you know, contribute to the cost of the band rather than him getting compensated for being in the band. And that hmm. kind of brought up the idea of, should I just be getting paid or should I be a part of this entity where I'm getting part of the risk? Every band is different. It's it you know you have to find out one are you are you in the band? Um, I've definitely been in situations where I thought I was in the band, and then it was made extremely clear that no, no, you're you are just playing drums. You're not in the band. When you're in the band and you start the band together, I think it's very obvious, and you know it's it's a shared cost. It's a for my band, it was a four way split. It was a four way profit, and there was nothing to ever discuss. But then I've been in other situations where the lion's share of the creative work was done by one person, and I wouldn't even feel comfortable getting the same split as that person. I really was just showing up and playing my drums. Um, so I can tell you this. I'm, I just started my trio. Uh, I guess it's been a trio now for a month, and we're going into the studio, and I'm expecting – I haven't talked to the guys about it, but I'm expecting to pay the full cost of the mm. session because it's my band. I want the recordings. I'm going to use the recordings for drumless tracks for my clinics. So, uh, but I'm also not paying those guys for that session work because we are doing it as a band. Um, I can't pay them when there's there's no money to be made in this situation. I'm not going to sell any of this. Um, yeah. If there was profit, then I would. And I, I don't know how I would handle it, honestly. I know in a gig situation, uh, it's going to be a three-way split because we practiced every night together as a unit. We wrote as a unit and we're going to probably all contribute to booking shows. Like one, the mm. bass player knows the owner at this club and the guitar player knows the owner at this club and I know the, know the owner at that club. Uh, so, But if it was selling the music, it's tough because I don't know how you feel about this, Mike, but if I decided to sell Man on the Moon CDs tomorrow, I'm pretty sure that 98% of those sales are going to be driven by me. Not to be an ass, but that's just where we are with social media and where it is comparatively between myself and the two bandmates. Um, So do they deserve 33% of that? Um, Do they deserve a third of it? I don't know. I haven't really thought of it. Yeah, that's that's why lawyers have to usually get involved to figure out what what is standard practice and what is, you know... I honestly, for me, just from my past, I would go with probably a 33% split or 33.3% split just to avoid any issues because right now the vibe is so good in the band. I would hate, you know, and like how many, how many fusion downloads are we going to (laughs) sell? Well, that's kind of the ultimate question and the irony of it. Like, you know, is there any, even any money to be made in doing it? Exactly. At least the the actual selling of the physical product or whatever. I mean, it's. It, it is really tough, and I, I'm kind of been on both sides of it. I'm in the middle of a bit of it right now of, of you know, what is my defined role? What do I want it to be? I'd, I tend to prefer just being, just buy me out, you know, just pay me per, per service, and, right. and it's your product. That way I don't have to come chasing you for royalties and things like that. I think you would also know the guaranteed hits and, uh, you know, you might feel different if Beyonce came to you and needed you to do a track, and you're like, no, I'll just take two points on the album. Like, you're Beyonce. Yeah. I know you're going to sell two million of these. You couldn't, you know. Uh, so you're not going to do it for five hundred dollars per song. 
right? Yeah, but then chasing down those two points is probably going to not be worth <laughs> worth it in the long run. So just pay me five hundred, and that'll I'll consider it my two points. <laughs> Man, <you know? laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I mean, if I wrote the song, I think if you're writing the songs, right. that's a, then you're dealing with publishing, and and that's then you got to be really careful. But you know, I'm kind of I'm I don't know. I don't like the idea of if you're in the band then now you're obligated to invest in the band i i don't yeah. like that because i think that my time is an investment as well and right. if at no point i'm being compensated for being in this band and now i'm expected to pay for the band yeah i don't i don't see how that could ever really work out for my benefit knowing right. that you know the band's most likely not going to sell a million records yeah, I mean, Simon says my my first band, and obviously we had no experience as a band. We were it was all of our first bands. There were five members. There was four bandmates, and the band was the fifth member. So whatever we got paid, one fifth of it always just went to our band fund, and yeah. that's what paid for our merch to get done for the first time. And that's you know we always treated it as a five piece band, four members in one band, and split it up in fifths, twenty percent yeah. to everybody. It's, I think it's that early stage when there is no money coming in, like yeah. who. Who pays for everything? Oh, yeah. It's called your parents. <laughs> we were 17. It's like, Mom, we're going to the studio. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah so I don't I, think we have an answer for him. I think you have to kind of figure out what is your investment. And, and like if if it was like in, in your case, if it was my band, if I was you know writing the material and gathering the, in, the band members together, then I would really be more conscious of all the, you know, who gets what. But right. if you're just joining a band and you're having fun and someone else is kind of the leader then i would just tend to just go just pay me you know here's my minimum that i need to get paid in order to give you a friday or saturday night and right and just kind of roll with it i mean it's it's really tough i mean i've certainly played a lot for free just out of good faith and not had it come back in right. the long run and it's or seen you know like I definitely played on that record, and I definitely haven't seen a cent from from the sales. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just every situation is unique, you know. Yeah. So, it's all right. Really tough. Next question. So we definitely did not answer that question, nope. but I feel good about. It. I feel like industry. we got closer than the description of the art song. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mesh head on a rubber tubing <laughs> that sits next to your drum, but don't take off your head. Stop taking off your head. It's fine, but lift your bass drum. All right. This is coming from Kyle. This has been here for a while, so my apologies for a delay. Um, I'm really interested in getting a set of the Pisces 602 Modern Essentials. Mm. Um, I love the sound of them on the website, <clears throat> but not sure you know what they did with that recording to make it sound like that. So do you have any experience with these, um, and are they worth the extra bucks? Um, mm. Because a set of them is the price of a high-end drum set. I've played them. Uh, I think they were the ones that, that Vinny kind of was demoing at NAMM a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous. Beautiful cymbals. Um, from my experience, what you're hearing on the recording is all likelihood exactly how they sound because Pisces cymbals sound like they're mixed right you know, in the room. That's what they do, yeah. Um, so, But is it worth the price? That's, that's totally up to what you think it's worth. Um, they are great cymbals. I think they will last you your lifetime, but... Is it worth the money? That's your call. I'm with you. It, it's. I can tell you this as a Pisces artist for 12 or 13 years, the recordings that they did were extremely honest. I think most companies go for that because they just know they'd get called out so hard uh, online mm, yeah. if 
if you could hear reverb and tons of compression, they, you know, it'd just be too obvious. And it's not going to help yeah. sell their product. You're going to return it because it's not going to sound the way it sounds. So I would say they do sound like that. And as far as the the worth, it just comes down to what you value. You know, I. The other thing is, don't think that you have to get a full set. You could always start with what you play the most. Get just a set yeah. of the hi hats, and then yeah. a year later, save up for a crash. You know, and and you can you can piece it together over time. All right, we got one from Micah here. Um, I don't have an answer for him. It's going to be the non-answer answer session. <laughs> I'm wondering if you guys have any suggestions for exercises to do with your weaker hand. I'm not referring to stick exercises. I know lots of those. I'm talking about things you can do for your weaker hand or hands in general away from sticks or the kit. Mm. I used to do that. I mean, you, you, probably every drummer has gone through that process of my left hand sucks. I'm going to brush my teeth with my left hand. But eat with in my, my case, hand, yeah. I'm I'm not ambidextrous. I'm all mixed up. I do things naturally with either with opposite hands. So right. I can't say that I spent a whole lot of time brushing my teeth with my left hand because I already did that. Right. <laughs> but I'm I write with my right hand. It's you know the hand thing's a funny thing because if you think about it, um, especially for somebody that's extremely non ambidextrous like myself. Um, your arms are fine. I, I don't curl like a forty with my right arm and a fifteen with my left. Yeah, right. Never it's just about from that. the wrist down. You know, <laughs> it's just I don't use the dexterity of it. So it does come down to having one of those uh, squishy balls or the grip strengthener um, in your left hand a lot, and just building up the muscles because it's not getting used as much. Um, and just trying to be a little more left hand dominant in your life. You know, I try to. When I'm reaching for a door, I try to reach with my left hand. Uh, when I mm. wave to somebody, I always try to wave left-handed. Um, the other thing, too, is I know you said that you're not looking for specific sticking exercises, but you kind of are because why do you think your right hand is doing so well right now? It's that in your basic rock beat, you have an, a four-to-one ratio, four hits on the hi-hat for every snare drum. Um, and you're probably hitting your snare you know, like a caveman, like we all do, like crack, <laughs> yeah. and then With you're the putting them all wide open. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you're just like giving all this love and attention to the hat. So, honestly, I I always have like a couple songs that I play a left hand lead uh, that aren't, aren't technical songs, but I'll play like My Own Summer by the Deftones. Uh, I'll play Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and I just play left hand lead, and I try to get as much work into that left hand as possible. So, yeah, I mean, if he doesn't want sticking exercises, but a sticking exercise that I know worked for me was one that Ed Shaughnessy used to teach. It's you know, one right, three lefts, do that 500 times. Two rights, four lefts, do that 100 times. Three rights, six lefts, do that 100 times. Three rights, nine lefts, do that 100 times. It's like a 10, 15 minute routine where you're. <laughs> You know, you're going to be doing so many more left hand strokes right. than right. And it, it worked. I mean, I did that a lot, uh, like through high school. And I feel like that helped me balance it out. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's what it comes down to. I, for me, my, my balancing thing was more of a lead thing instead of a physical thing, meaning that I would always take Latin rhythms and Cuban rhythms and I would just play them left hand lead and ghost in between. So if you're going around the kit playing it, um, I'm not even going to try to say it's the right way but uh, a cascara pattern because i don't want to say cascara um <laughs> but if you're going around the kit playing that left hand lead and you're really leaning into that left side of your body and it's and you're thinking i am leading with my left hand that really helps too so uh yeah. so for all of your non-sticking exercises there's there's like four for you 
<laughs> he's like, I'm not talking about that. I've got like a hundred of those. Just tell me what I could. It's like, yeah, just go pick something up. But I, 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 I have used those uh, uh, grip strengtheners, uh, and I just keep in my left hand squeezing them. So, all right, you got. Do we have time for one more? Yeah, this. Uh, yeah, let's do one more. You might, you might have an answer for this one. Um, this comes from again another one we probably don't have an answer for. Simon. Um, he's looking to get new in-ear monitors. Um, okay. The problem is I play in church a lot, and it's on the softer side, so I need a monitor that will protect my ears but also let in some of the room sound. Mm. Okay. Uh, so if, if I can't hear the room sound and the feel of the room, he gets you know uncomfortable. But Sure. Uh, but at the same time, I don't want to hurt my ears. Do Does Ultimate Ears offer a filter yes. of some kind? They do indeed. Uh, okay. Yeah, is so, it an ear plug or is it an in ear? It's an in ear monitor, um, and it just has a. Um, it's it's pretty much just got like as far as I know, it's just got like hole like very tiny holes drilled into one of the ears. That's just an option mm. you can have when you're putting in your order. Do you? I think oh, they just call okay. it ambient noise. Do you want ambient noise or not? Um, so the one I'm wearing right now is completely sealed, but then you could have just maybe your right ear or your left ear would have um, the ambient filter built in and then it just lets in the outside noise it's funny I, I we just had somebody on the Mike's Lessons family I don't know if you saw the quote but they just got their first set of in-ears and they kind of freaked out they were like I'm so disconnected from the band I feel like I'm all by myself <laughs> it's like yeah yeah it's a problem I mean I, I've had to wean myself off of in-ear monitor practice only because I was having real trouble in clinics when I wasn't wearing my in-ears and I was playing a solo. It's like, God, these drums are so responsive and loud and yeah, loud, you know, yeah. I just, yeah. So you can feel a little isolated with in-ears. So I, I like the, uh, the ultimate ear with the ambient filter built in and I would probably just do it on one ear maybe. Um, and, and they still offer great ear protection. And I think they'll even tell you on the website if you have it, normal it's going to be 32 db noise reduction and if you have it with the ambient filter it's this much so it's it's not like it's not wearing them at all um, i just yeah. can't remember what it is i know a lot of guys who just set up a an ambient room mic so oh, like they'll sure. have it behind the drum set that's what i do for my clinics yeah it makes them a little bit so at least you feel like you're hearing what you would normally be hearing yeah that or might be a workaround if you don't is there, new yeah is there is there laughter in the room is there oh, yeah. uh, you know what's going on because you can feel extremely isolated with custom molded in-ears yeah all right well that's it for this this week we've got a few more we've got a bunch of uh audio questions to get in in the next really so yep keep them coming in i'd like to have a, if we can get a whole audio listener questions for next week that'd be yeah. awesome i would so love MD, that md info at modern Send All right. Well, it's time to get to our picks of the week. So, Mike, I will let you go first this time while I dig up the information from mine. <laughs> you mean while you find one? Shut up. <laughs> you're, a, you're a bad man. <laughs> I've got it right here. So this was going, actually going to be my pick of the week last week until I until uh, Mickey Roker passed away, unfortunately. But mm. um, I've been a pretty big fan of the Tim Ferriss podcasts for, for several years. Um, at times, I kind of go away from it because each episode of his podcast is like you can spend a month kind of dissecting it. Um, if you're not familiar with Tim, he essentially sits down with high achievers and all kinds of different disciplines and tries to figure out, crack the code, why are you a high achiever? What do you do in your life and your daily routine or what's your philosophies and so on and so forth. Um, and he also, as a side note, he, he had a I think it was an iTunes TV show where he was trying to learn how to do really 
challenging tasks in a short amount of time. He did I remember that, yeah. Yep. Yeah, he took like drum lessons with Stuart Copeland, and then I believe he played with Foreigner. He did a song yeah, with Yeah, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> Pretty awesome. So he's he's no joke, but he, there's, there's one particular episode where he sits down with Jocko Willink, who is a retired Navy SEAL. I know exactly who he is, yeah. Yeah, he is scary and amazing all at the same time. So I think he, Jocko even has his own podcast, too. Yeah, after he did Tim's, he decided to start his own. It's been a number one podcast. So this guy is like a full-on overachiever. You know, there is no challenge too great. Uh, and I like his particular episodes because it's such the opposite of a drubber, creative-type person. He's basically okay. talking about how being a disciplined, military-style person has made him more successful. Mm. It's okay. freed up his life to be, you know, have more enjoyment because he gets up every day and works out really hard, and then that's done. Four thirty in the morning, he's done working out. Uh, but I think it relates. It kind of, I'm able to grab bits of that. Like, no, I don't want to be a Navy SEAL, but this guy's really enjoying his life, and he's, you know, n- making no sacrifices. Like he's right, but he's also disciplined as hell. So I think just kind of getting a glimpse of the intensity of what a human being can be and can do and and then saying well what am i doing that i could maybe just step it up a little bit i mean you don't want to go you know pulling you know running 10 miles instantly because jocko is doing that but right i just find him really inspiring he's also he's also he's written books and stuff so he's also a very creative person but you know i just found him extremely inspiring jocko willink the tim ferris podcast and if you want to go deeper into his his podcast is more about like war it's kind of heavy about war right also cool but that's you know at times it's you know kind of gory and bloody but sure intense but yeah he's it's he's inspiring um so yeah the jocko willink episode tim ferris podcast boom check it out um all right my pick of the week i've mentioned this before but they've kind of stepped up their game a little bit so i want to bring it back into your guys' mind which is uh a service called curiosity stream so curiosity stream think of it as netflix for your brain uh it's very similar to netflix but it's only informative uh content so you can it used to be very space heavy, which is why I got into it in the first place. But now it's over 1,500 shows on science, history, tech, nature, uh, nutrition. So it's a really great resource to have. If, if you kind of say, okay, I want to learn more about JFK, but I don't want to wait for the next show to come on TV. And then is it even a good one? You could just go there. And if you wanted to learn more about what we're trying to do to get to Mars or what the future is going to be like. You can watch Next World with Michio Kaku. Uh, even our boy uh, Lou Montuli has a, a small role on one of their things. It's called Digits, Man versus Machine. And uh, you can see Lou Montuli and the role he played in kind of creating the what we now call our Internet. So, And you can learn about the Bronze Age. It's just a, an amazing place to – if you're going to veg out, my thing is this. If I'm going to veg out, I still want to somehow – get a little something mm. in yeah, um, yeah so yeah and dude it's 2.99 a month and it's all now, are, they, are, yeah, are they collating content or is this all original content that they're most creating? of it's actually original content um cool so it's not like oh i already saw that on the discovery channel or i already yeah. saw that on the history channel it's like most of it's you know original content and they do get a lot of older content too but just like netflix it'll say 2011 um sometimes Mm -hmm. it's fun if i can find something from 98 about the universe i love watching it because i'm like (laughs) oh we were so wrong but in 98 that's what we thought because we didn't you know we hadn't launched our 
our newest telescopes yet. But anyways, <laughs> it's a fantastic channel, and it'll um, it'll sync to multiple devices. So I'll be watching it on my phone, and then when I get home, I just open my iPad, and it's got me right where I was. So definitely check it out. And they they add new stuff all the time. So Curiosity Stream. Dot com and like I said, you could start. You can do a free trial of it right now, and I would definitely recommend doing it. You'll find so much, and it'll take your vegetation time on the couch to um, kind of like, oh, okay, this is interesting, and I'm learning something. So I know what happened to me. I'd be like, yeah, I want to check this out, and I'd be asleep in 30 seconds. Just, yeah, that's what I use it for. Just, it's <laughs> most of these people are brilliant, but they can't hold. They can't keep your attention on camera. It's great, and they're like. As we venture into the deep darkness of space, we find... Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> it's beautiful. All right, guys. So, got lots of stuff to check out. Go tune some toms. And then next week, episode 96, we will give you all the details of what you need to know about our 100th episode giveaway. We have some really cool stuff to give to you guys. So, we're really excited about that. Brother yep, Mike, indeed. have a good day, man. Likewise, apologize for rambling and not being able to describe the art time very well. <laughs> Is it going to stick with you? <laughs> Bro, I was trying to hold it together. Oh my and it was just like, I'm like, don't need some so carrots. Vague. What's going on with my brain? <laughs> Did he not take his ginkgo biloba today? This is so vague. I need a vacation. All, All right. right, let's get out of here. All right, peace. <laughs>